I wonder if anyone has ever told you to dream big. And I wonder if you were encouraged to dream big as a child. Were you fortunate enough to have people behind you cheering you on? And if you were, or if you still are a dreamer, did you ever pluck up the courage to share your dreams? You know, dreams can fall under many headings. They can be dreams that are directly from God. People dream about what they'd like to see happen in their future. Dreams you'd like to see come true in your own personal life. And goals, dreams that you want to achieve. And at one end of the scale, some people's dreams can be long and, you know, long and complex, whilst other people's dreams are simple and uncomplicated. Yet, no matter at which end of the scale you sit, sometimes they never seem to manage to come together. And if we do fall into one of those example categories that I've just mentioned to you, then maybe we, we took that a step further. And we took the risk to make ourselves vulnerable because we decided to share our dreams with people around us. But when we did, maybe, just maybe, we were laughed at. And we were left feeling put down and we were told that we wouldn't ever really amount to much. And because, those, and because for some of those reasons that I've just mentioned, we decided to put our dreams down or we let them fade away. So maybe now, when you dare to let yourself dream a little bit, you automatically shut your thoughts and ideas away because it feels like you kind of hit some kind of invisible brick wall. So while you ponder on those opening thoughts, let me share three dreams with you that I had growing up. At the age of five, I fell in love with the idea of being James Bond. And I'm still mad about James Bond today. And when the new James Bond film is released in November this year, I'll be more excited than a kid at Christmas. As a child, I dreamt of auditioning for the role when I was an adult, but of course I never did, or I wouldn't be stood here now, obviously. The closest I ever got to the dream of being James Bond was settling for the next, be next best thing, in my opinion, and I spent 14 years in the police force, carrying my taser with me that I'd nicknamed Stanley, and only when I was on duty, of course. And I'm sure that we can all appreciate the next thing on my list. I dreamt as a child of having superpowers. For me, the power to become invisible in any situation is the best superpower you can possibly ever have. Can you imagine the things that you could get up to? You could bounce on the Queen's bed and rob a bank all in the same day and not get caught. Not that I condone any of those things now, of course, as an adult. And lastly, in my younger years, I also dreamt of being the main character in a West End show. The lights, the face paint, the adrenaline, you know, that rush, the main centre part on stage. But the closest I ever came to that was landing the role of Joseph in my college's sixth, sixth form production of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And it still feels weird today that I remember every word of that Andrew Lloyd Webber production. I did ask my parents for some photographic evidence to share with you, just for a laugh, but thankfully they'd searched in the loft and couldn't find anything. 
But coming back to the present day in our adulthood, I wonder if some of us still don't share our dreams and don't have anyone pushing us to dream big. So thinking about what to say on the subject of dreams and because of my past history playing that part of Joseph, I thought we could look at the story of this dreamer and how dreaming affected him. And you will also notice that he wasn't pushed to pursue his dreams either. Genesis is the first book of the Bible and two thirds of it are taken up with the story of Joseph. It starts in chapter 37 and then Genesis ends with the same story at chapter 50. And it's thought that by many biblical scholars that this story was recorded when Moses eventually put pen to paper. So why does this story have to take up two thirds of the book of Genesis? Well, you know, I don't know for sure, um, but what I see is that it's quite important because it's quite a unique story. I see God's favour. I see his promise that he will never leave us. And I see that this true story shows us that even when other people around us don't believe in ourselves, God is always there cheering us on. Now, you don't need me to tell you that this story is quite a big read for Sunday morning. And I definitely don't want you to use your superpowers to turn me off on your TV screens. So we'll pick out some sections of the story as we go along. And obviously, I highly recommend it if you want to read it all in one go afterwards. I'll also try not to sing bits of this as we go along, but I I can't promise anything. So let's start at the very beginning a very good place to start. And I know that that isn't from Joseph, it's from an entirely different story. But here we go. So we have the opening scene in chapter 37. Joseph, a boy of 17 who who wasn't the most popular brother to his 11 brothers. Why? Two reasons, I suppose. Firstly, his brothers knew that their father Jacob adored Joseph more than them. Joseph was their long-awaited son. Jacob had waited a long time for Rachel, his favourite wife, to give birth. I've got a favourite wife called Rachel. No, wait, that came out all wrong. I only have one wife called Rachel who I love very much. And furthermore, I'm thankful that I only have one wife for all the right reasons. Anyway, let's quickly get back to the story before I have no wife at all. I'm digging myself a hole. Because, and because he was Jacob's favourite, he was the only child to be given this amazing coat of many colours by his father. Some other Bible translation, translations go with the words eloquent robe, which doesn't sound as good to me, so we'll stick with the coat of many colours. And secondly, his brothers were jealous and envious because Joseph was a dreamer. It appeared that he dreamed a lot. And to make matters worse, Joseph had no hesitation in openly sharing his dreams and his interpretations with his family. His dreams are recorded here in chapter 37 and they seem to indicate that one day he would rule over his brothers and the rest of his family would somehow end up bowing down to him. 
And the musical, which still rings in my ears, puts it like this. I dream that in the field one day, your corn gave me a sign. Your 11 sheaves of corn all turned and bowed to mine. My sheaf was quite a sight to see, a golden sheaf and tall, and yours were really second rate and really rather small. I dreamt I saw 11 stars, the sun, the moon and sky, bowing down before my star. It made me wonder why. Could it be that I was born for higher things than you? A post in someone's government, a ministry or two. Yes, I've still got it. And on hearing this from Joseph, I'm pretty sure his brothers probably thought that they weren't significant enough to have these so-called God-given dreams. It says in verse 11 that his brothers were really jealous of him. And have we been made to feel like that sometimes? And maybe people put us down because they were jealous and envious of us as we shared our dreams. So this morning, I think that it would be really helpful to think about three things together. Are we significant enough to dream big? How do we know that our dreams are from God? And lastly, what happens if our dreams don't pan out the way we first saw them? So let's take that first question. Am I significant enough to dream big? Well, let's look at what the Bible says about dreaming. Joel 2, 28 says this, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I love how I think this verse shows us that everyone is included, no matter who you are or where you're from. And I now class myself firmly in the last bit of that verse. Notice it says, old men will dream dreams. And it shows me that there's still hope for my apparent lack of dreaming yet, maybe. And did you know that there are a total of 21 separate dreams recorded in the Bible by 13 different people? These dreams had different meanings too. There were dreams about warnings, dreams about blessings to come in the future, dreams of confirmation for God's people. There were prophetic dreams and dreams of um, wisdom about which direction God's people should go in. So the Bible shows us that God is serious about speaking to his people through dreams. It also tells me that God loves to use this as a way to communicate with us. And I also wonder if God thinks we're in a more receptive state of mind when we're asleep. Maybe it's because we can't answer back. Who knows? And because God spoke to all sorts of people through all sorts of different dreams, we should never disqualify ourselves from thinking that we are too insignificant to be allowed to have any kind of dream. I've said before, and I want to share it again, this Bible verse that in, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. But as I was literally typing this out, I got the feeling that some of you may not be convinced that you are royalty, that God sees you as royalty, his royalty that you don't feel like a holy nation or in other words, that you don't feel part of God's family, that you're doubting that you're set apart for him or even that he's claimed you as his own. So let me ask you, do you see yourself as ordinary? Maybe as a little bit insignificant and would it surprise you if I said that that was okay? Because God uses and is in the business of using the humble and the ordinary people in life for his extraordinary glory. And I'm not just talking about people. He even used a colt, this young donkey, to show his power, his favour and his humility. Let me show you what I mean. If we look at Matthew 21 together for a moment, we find Jesus preparing to ride triumphantly into Jerusalem. Jesus, the king of all kings. And you would be forgiven for thinking that King Jesus would have rode into this town on a stallion. After all, he's Jesus. But instead, he chooses to tell the disciples to go into the village where they'll find this colt, this tiny donkey tied up, and Jesus told them to bring that animal to him. He then rode on this small, insignificant animal as people cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Why? Why do that when you're the king of kings? Well, it shows me two things. Firstly, you'll notice that this young, insignificant, immature animal was tied up. Let me ask you, do you feel tied up right now? Do you feel so tied up in knots that you don't feel like you're able to dream anymore? So in the same way that this animal was untied by the disciples, Jesus wants to untie you, his precious child, today to release you to dream for him. But will you trust him? Or will you put all your trust in what the world says about you? Secondly, I believe that God is showing us that he will and he can use anyone or anything to bring about his purposes. So if he can use this animal for his purposes to come about, then he will most definitely want to use you if you're willing. Remember what I said a moment ago. You are his royal priesthood. You are his holy nation. You are beyond precious. He loves you beyond measure. So God is calling you out today, no matter how small or insignificant you feel, to begin dreaming for him. Whether it's for the first time or whether you're feeling called to start dreaming again. So armed with God's word, are you prepared to share your dreams with those around you, knowing that no matter what their reaction, be it good or bad or indifferent, you can fall back on the promises of God we've just read together.
You know, he's given his people dreams in the past. No one is disqualified from dreaming and he wants you to start dreaming again, believe me. But there's a vital part that we must not forget before. We get carried away thinking that whatever we dream, God will put his seal of approval on. We must remember that it isn't the bigger the dream, the better the outcome. We always need to test and approve God's perfect will for us. After all, we don't ever want to be out of step with him. So not one of us is insignificant. We are allowed to dream and he will use us to bring about his purposes for his glory and for our pleasure if we listen to him. And that brings us to our second point. How can we be sure that we know that our dreams are from God? So we can all dream big and there's nothing wrong with that. After all, we have a great big God who says we can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, as it says in Ephesians chapter three. But if we're not careful, we can possibly misinterpret our dreams or perhaps we miss the point. Joseph's brothers were furious when Joseph guessed that his dreams meant his family would eventually somehow turn and bow to him. And Jacob, his doting dad, wasn't too impressed either with Joseph's dreams. But where do we start? Well, let me suggest a few things. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 33, God is telling his people, listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. So perhaps before we go around sharing our dreams with absolutely everyone, let's use some of our God-given wisdom. Then let's share our dreams with those amongst us who are wise. You know, because a little later in the book of Proverbs again, but chapter 16, verses 21, it says this, the wise in heart are called discerning and gracious words promote instruction. What about asking the Holy Spirit to guide us? In the book of Acts, chapter 15, it says that the believers said what seemed, to, what seemed good to us and good to the Holy Spirit. One of the things God has put on my heart over the past 12 months is that I'm reminded constantly that I never want to be out of step with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible also tells us to fast and pray and this can be another way in which we need to be wise and take all our dreams back to God. In the book of Ezra, chapter eight, it says this. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. God sees our hearts as well, so we need to be open to him, don't we? The psalmist says in Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God wants to see we're serious about something. You know, he sees our hearts and our actions. And it can be so easy, can't it, you know, to get swept away in a moment of a dream. I've made mistakes in the past where my enthusiasm has got the better of me. Have you ever heard of the phrase that we need to hold all things lightly? Do we need to take hold of our dreams though? 
Absolutely. Yes, of course we do. But at the same time, we need to hold things and our dreams especially lightly and give them back to God because if they're not right, we don't want to have misunderstood or misheard God. Remember, we want to be in step with him. You know, I'm a visionary by nature. I see the final product. I see this big picture. And I, I'm like, I say to people, come on, follow me. Look at this great idea. It's, it's going to be amazing. But over the years, I've come to realize that most of the time, even though the ending is or usually potentially could be the best bit, I came to the realization that daring to dream can sometimes mean starting small. And that's another way that God wants to test us and refine us. Is God calling us to be good servants first? To look after the small things first? Let me explain what I mean by looking together with you now briefly at the parable of the talents. It's from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus explains to the disciples that there were three servants and their master was going away on a long journey. And he trusted them with his property and his belongings. To one he entrusts five talents and if we're guided by church commentaries on Matthew and we trust Google for an up-to-date cash equivalent, each talent in today's money is now worth around about £369,000. Then times that by five, and if I've done my maths right, that equals £1,845,000, give or take a few pounds and pence. And this servant, we're told, made double the original amount. And do you know what? So did the second servant. He was entrusted with two talents, therefore worth £738,000 roughly, and he doubled his money for his master too. But the third servant, who got one talent at £369,000, went and buried his share in the ground, and then when his master returned, he gave the excuse that he was too scared to do anything with it. Do you know what? He didn't even invest it. And when Jesus was telling this parable to his disciples, he wasn't telling them because he wanted to, them to understand the value of how to make money. He wanted them and now us, as we read it today, to understand that he was asking us to be trustworthy and reliable in the small things. He's asking us, therefore, to honour him in the small things before more is entrusted to us, just like the two out of the three servants did. He actually said to the first and second servant that he was going to put them in charge of many more things because they had been faithful. So how does that apply to us today? Well, I've started to ask God to show me what it is in my life that may seem small to me and that I may class as potentially a little bit insignificant. But in his eyes, I clearly need to pay more attention to. In other words, what areas of my life do I need to concentrate on or change so that the little that I have look after in readiness for the bigger things to come to fruition, all for his glory. Do we long for God to see that we're trustworthy and reliable in the small things so that he gives us 
bigger things to do or bigger dreams to dream. You know, for me, it's also therefore about a a lifestyle change in, in a practical sense. Not just doing what I think matters for a short time. Then when I think that God's not looking anymore and he's turned his back on me, for example, I then fall back into my old habits and my old ways again. Now this may sound like I'm saying that we have to earn these things from God. I'm not saying that at all. But if we want to dream big and we want God to bless our plans and our dreams, then it only makes sense to start dealing with the small things first. So let's remember how important the small things are to God and then the master told the, as, as the master told the first two servants, you have been faithful with a few things, I will now put you in charge of many things. So that's some of the ways in which we can know if our dreams are from God. Let's share our dreams then whilst holding them lightly. Let's ask the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to guide us. Let's share our dreams with those whose actions to us prove wise. And let's show God we're serious about dealing with the small things that we've been given so that he can see we're trustworthy to take on bigger things for him and his kingdom. And let's keep going back to the word of God, checking things and checking him to making sure we're wise that were wise people for him. So that leads us on to our final point, point three. What happens if our dreams don't work out the way we want them to? What if they don't pan out the way that we think that they should? Because it appears that actually we're good to go. We have the confidence to know that we are significant enough to dream. Yes, check. We now have some ideas on how to test that our dreams are from God. Absolutely, check. That's everything, isn't it? Wrong. No, it isn't. Because in a perfect world, our dreams would always come true. But what if our dreams don't work out the way that we want them to? What happens if we become discouraged? What if we get fed up in the waiting and we start doubting that we've heard from God correctly? I bet Joseph, you know, thought that he had made it. At the beginning of this story, his life looked doomed as he was sold off by his brothers as a slave in Egypt. And he was bought by Potiphar and he eventually became head of the house. But what looked like the finished dream clearly wasn't. Just when he thought his life was back on track, And he'd become more than he ever thought possible, having been thrown in that well by his family, by his brothers. We read in chapter 39 of Genesis that Potiphar's wife took a shine to Joseph and she tried to entice him into her bed. And after she got fed up of Joseph constantly refusing to give in to her advances, she then accuses him of doing the very thing he swore not to do. And he was quickly thrown into prison. In one horrible moment, his life completely changed. An innocent man wrongly imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. And I'm wondering, have we had those prison-type moments? 
Have we gone from life looking great and all our dreams being on track to feeling like the rug has been pulled from underneath our feet? I'm sure Joseph thought, you know, that his life was practically over. That there was no way that he'd ever be released from prison now. Yet in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 39, it says this that the Lord was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden and he made Joseph responsible for all that was done there. How could Joseph have possibly trusted his dreams now he was in prison? Well, the answer is quite clearly he couldn't. Instead, He had to trust God instead of trusting his dreams. And you know what? That's what we've got to do too because we can always find favour with God. You know, Joseph spent a total of 13 years in prison. And whilst he was in prison, he showed that his role wasn't anything to do about position. After all, how could it be when he was stuck in prison? Joseph made his role about purpose. And his purpose there was to serve. He served the prison guards and serving the other prisoners before eventually being released by Pharaoh who happened to need someone to interpret his dreams. So when we read in Philippians chapter three about pressing on towards the goal, I wonder how many of us would struggle to believe that if we were in Joseph's position today, we would be willing to start again as Joseph was. Would we be willing in that moment to trust that the Lord was with us, as it says here, as he was with Joseph? So if we fast forward to chapter 50, Joseph finds himself released from prison and given the position of Pharaoh's right-hand man, having successfully interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. You know, and Joseph did save all of Egypt and his brothers from a dreadful famine. And because of that, his brothers and the rest of his family did bow down before him just as he'd shared when he had dared to share his dreams all those years ago as a young boy aged 17. So let's take heart today and remember that most of the time dreams clearly, as the story has shown, do not happen all at once. And sometimes they take a different course to the plan we have in our heads. Joseph's dreams happened in stages. Are yours? I know that mine are currently. But I can see that God was and still is faithful. Dreams rarely become a reality overnight. And they will often hit a few bumps in the road. So can I encourage you to read this story through again, as I said earlier on, even if you know it. When I did, I noticed how many times it says that the Lord was with Joseph and he's with us too. That's a promise from God. He was with us when we were told that we'd never amount to much and that we should stop dreaming. 
And he's with us now when we feel too insignificant to dream. He's with us when we're questioning if our dreams are from him, showing us how to trust and lean not on our own understanding, as the Bible says. And he's with us when our dreams don't quite pan out the way that we first thought that they would. He's there with us in our prison moments. And you know what? He's there when we celebrate our dreams when they become a reality. So let's be the kind of dreamers who remember who we are in Christ. Asking God to change our hearts when necessary to serve him in the waiting and also to remember that we serve a servant king. Because he shows us that it's often about purpose and not just about position. And finally, let's be courageous enough to not only dream, but to ask God for some new dreams for him as we move into the new normal as the body of Christ. So today I challenge you, let's dare to dream big.